0: Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. In today's episode, we're continuing our discussion of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we'll be looking at chapter 7 and discussing the, the great difference between God and man and how he condescends to interact with us through his covenants. If you have any questions about today's episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at 1A, that's the number one, the letter A, at firstpresscolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you.
1: Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I'm your host, Josh Squires. It's been a little bit since we've been able to get everybody together but we're continuing to work our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith and talk about how the Westminster really does speak to issues today, even from a counseling perspective. Joining me, as always, is Josh Fleming. Josh, thanks for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, intern Mark Capper, Thank you for being here, Mark.
2: Hey, y'all. Yeah, so glad to be here today.
1: And joining us from Mississippi, Minister of Discipleship from First Pres Hattiesburg is Josh Adair. Thanks for being with us, Josh.
3: So good to be here, guys.
1: Okay, Fleming, tell us where we're
0: at. Absolutely. We are getting going in Chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. This chapter is titled, Of God's Covenant with Man. We've just kind of come off a a really sort of difficult for us to talk about section, uh, dealing with sin and the fall and the punishment thereof. It's not sort of the the pleasant things we like to enjoy talking about. It's sort of the bad news. And yet, here we turn, and we see immediately uh, God's reaching out to His creation. Um, I'll just go in here with just a uh, uh, the first section of this chapter, and I think we're going to see as we move through this, it's incredibly, incredibly relevant for the Christian life, hmm. and um, something that we probably don't often think about the covenants as being something for the for us in, in in our daily life. But let's let's just get going on this. This is section one of chapter seven. It says. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. And so we see here, right off the bat this this distance between god and the creature and i think as i was thinking about this i think i can really only speak for myself but i think it's true in general for for christians and for, for really for all of humanity is we actually don't think the distance between god and the creature is all that great like yeah. in our daily lives and we're going i mean you know we kind of think um but i just wonder what what do you all think here right off the bat what is so significant about this distance between God and the creature, and how does that
1: inform uh, the way we live our lives? Yeah, it's a great point, Fleming. I think you're right. I think what, when we tend to think of God, because he is relationally connected to us, because he does choose to condescend, and, and we'll pick up that word a little bit more mm-hmm. here later, um, and decides to listen to us and and loves us, we often then think of him as kind of like just our best buddy mm.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and put him, lower him down to our place rather than keeping him where he deserves to be. I know R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, has been such a, a boon to people um, and and to me as well as you think about what it means that God is different than us. Mm. That there's no way for us to conceive of him. He is greater than uh, than that of which we can possibly conceive. His holiness is better than we can think of his majesty, his power. And when you begin to think of him in those particular lights and the, with the, that particular perspective, I think it does. One, it humbles us.
0: Yes, certainly.
1: As we should be humbled. Um. That, that we can't just make our own decisions about what is right and what is wrong, and we can't just listen to our own hearts because we're not the creator, we're not God. Um, and secondly, it just helps to warm our affections that something and someone, more more than something, someone mm. that far above who stood in no need of the creatures, right? he didn't need us, he didn't need glory. That's one of the interesting things that sets Christianity apart from a lot of the very early ancient Near Eastern religions, and, and even some of the Greek religions, was that the gods needed man. Mm. Because when you're making it up on your own, you have to come up with the answer, why Why do we exist and in relation to the gods how? And so it's always gods need men in order that they might do things like sacrifice, which is how they eat, for example. Mm-hmm. Right which is weird, You're right but right. but that was that was the thought often in the ancient um, near East. Hmm. And instead, uh, the way our God works is he doesn't need us. He doesn't need glory. He wasn't lonely because he had perfect fellowship in the Trinity. Hmm. Um, he didn't need people to know him more or any of that. He chooses to come into relationship freely and willingly into something in in relationship with a being that is so much lower than him
2: mm.
1: that's amazing it is yeah right and so I, I think I think it increases our humility and awe when we think about the distance that rightly is between God and man and yet God chooses to close the distance
0: yeah mm. I recently heard uh, dr. Ferguson give a really great picture of this. You know, just trying to get trying to get that idea of the gulf between God and man and and he he used I thought it was a pretty good example of like the difference between humans, us and and ants yeah. ants. like imagine if if you had an ant farm in your room and <clears throat> suppose those ants you could somehow communicate with them and you could sort of get on their level. I mean, you know that's we can't really do that, but you could sort of tell them little things about yourself and about the world or outside of their little ant farm. And suppose they decide to start studying you. And the ants wanted to know, well, this is when Squires wakes up. And this is when Squires, you know, they start taking notes. And and but the ants, they could never really know you, your thought life and your emotional life. How could they ever understand what goes on outside of you know your house? I mean, they're just they're ants. Yeah. And that's only the distance between us and ants mm. yeah. compared to the difference between us and God. Yeah. Massive. Is, is, yeah, exactly. So um i think that's just helpful for me to me to think about and yet the the beauty is in spite of that he yeah. does condescend as we, you know this is pointing us to this this section to to reveal himself to us to have some um dialogue you know he gives us the scriptures uh he encourages us to pray to him um it's mm-hmm. really uh th- there's this i guess the the tension we're feeling between transcendence and yet imminence that's um, right it's incredible so
2: Yeah, I remember growing up, I think the easiest difference for me to recognize between us and God was our sin and God's holiness. And I think for so much of my early Christian life, that was really what I focused more on. But there was something for me that really just flipped a switch in my head when I realized, oh, even if I was a perfect human being who had never sinned, even if Adam had never sinned, why would God want a relationship right. with us? We're limited human beings that, you know, he's an infinite, divine, uh, God, eternal, unchangeable. Why would, why would he want a relationship mm. with us? And so just recognizing it, he does. Wow, wow that's amazing. And then in spite of that, it, it be, then beyond that, when you recognize, oh, and we rebelled against him, and he still pursues us and wants relationship with us. Wow. What yeah. a god we have.
0: That's good. The difference is not just due to our sin, it is the creature-leadness. Yeah. Um, Isaiah 55, I think, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above your ways and your thoughts. Like, mm. we're just not the same yeah. type of being. We're not, t- I mean, we can't compare ourselves to God. And I think, you know, as, as again, going back to, you know, we tend to in our daily lives. Either elevate ourselves or or bring down God, bring mm-hmm. God down, mm-hmm. um, and we 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 lose out on something quite beautiful when yeah. we lose out on that distance and that gulf between God and the creature.
1: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. to use a GRE word here for a second, there is an ontological difference, and and when we say ontology or ontological, we're talking about the order of being. So mm-hmm. there's an ontological difference between man and an ant. We're able to think and rationalize. We're able to make future plans. We're able to empathize with one another. We're able to think more than just about survival and go off more than just basic instinct. There is a creature difference. And yet the ontological gulf between us and God and us and an ant, we and ants are both creatures. We share right. something in common. Hmm. But that gulf between creator and all of his creation is so vast mm. as to to make true comprehensibility impossible. Right? Mm. He, he's comprehensible; we can we can understand him. Right? But we cannot comprehensively understand him, and never will, even in glory. Right? Mm. When we have, and this is for some people, this is frustrating, but it's actually beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm. In that, when you get to glory, and glory never ends. It never ends. And the first time you think about that and really meditate on it, it is terrifying <laughs> and, and wonderful at the same time. Hurts your brain in a good way. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And yet, in glory, where there is no end of time, every single day you can find out something new about God. Mm. Wow. That that's, that's the level of difference between creator and creature. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Mm. The finite mind, created yep. mind, will never exhaust exhaust the infinite That's right. creator. That's right, never. Yes. You're right. It hurts your head a little bit, like but forever is a long time. Well, hmm. it's forever.
3: I, I think that ontological difference is helpful uh, because uh, not only does it tell you that one of these things is not like the other, but there's uh, there's a degree of mystery that we've all sort of been reaching at. And like, why does God deal with us in the way that he does that this begins to hint at in a really beautiful way. I was talking to one of my kids uh, last few months about like, how could God forgiveness? And this was a, a, a middle child, uh, who had done something uh, wrong. And I was like, you know, daddy forgives you, uh, because God forgives you. Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's a good thing that God forgives us and say, wait, God, why, can God forgiveness, why can God forgive us when we've been sinful? Uh, he said, that doesn't make sense. And I think oftentimes uh, the ontological difference of like God's ways are not your ways uh, and God's intentions, we might have like an altruism like behind God's forgiveness when we think of him on a peer level, but when we recognize the difference of being in God, that that he's not just this altruistic God, but mm. he is totally different. He's totally, uh, uh, different in degree and kind than we are. Uh, yet he's blessed us with his image, all that we might know the pleasure of, uh, uh of just benefiting some fruition from him, as this uh, section says. And, uh, I think oftentimes we can be baffled by redemption and we should be baffled by redemption when Mm. we can con uh, when we can uh, conceive of the fact that like God should not forgive us. Mm. But when we also recognize the uniqueness of his being and character, uh, that sort of removes the shadow man from behind uh, our understanding of like God is still kind of like us and he may go back on his word to be like, no, like God doesn't change his mind because he's a different category of being. And, uh, what he does, he does with full intention, uh, to bless his creatures that they might actually benefit from him because that's just who he is. And that's incredibly good. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I, I just think that it's, it's something that totally helps, uh, It it is totally despairing on one hand, but it also is totally uh, humbling on the other as we've been reaching that. Because this is the God who would uh, seek to give us some simple benefit of his presence.
1: Mm. Yeah. So it goes on and it says that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator. Let's just pause there for a second. The, the divines are trying to say that based on who he is as ontological superior, as creator, as one who is holy, as one who is just, as one who is powerful, he deserves and we owe him perfect obedience. The, though the first couple was given choice, the answer is is there really shouldn't be, right? Mm. There there shouldn't be a choice. It it should be so clear as to who the authority is here, mm. right? That that there should be immediate and almost unthinking obedience mm. paid unto God.
0: Mm. It's like if you're in your right mind, yeah. And I use that like you know, like yeah. But when you're thinking clearly if if for you know if sin were not in the equation for a moment yeah how could you help but but praise and glorify and obey this great God yeah. that we were just talking about how great his, the distance is between us yeah how he yet comes near draws near to us how could you not yeah or well, we're not in our right minds yeah <laughs> because of sin but it does I think that point is 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 actually you know that's a that's a statement that's even before the categories of fall and redemption, right? I mean, as yep. their creator, we owe him this obedience. Just just like just the ontological just just on based on his
1: being. Yes. Mm. Okay, so we owe him obedience. And yet even if we obeyed, this is this is their next phrase, even if we obeyed, yet they could never have any fruition of him. That's that's a very 17th century way Hmm. of speaking and and we'll come back to like what does that mean and they can't have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward Hmm. but by some voluntary condescension on god's part let's unpack that a little bit Hmm. so even if man obeyed perfectly we couldn't have any fruition of him as blessedness and reward fruition of him I I think what they're getting at is is in the same way that um, a tree bears fruit and when it bears fruit that is the point in which our experience interacts with what this is right this is orange this is apple this is whatever we could not experience his blessedness and the reward of him except that he willingly chose, to condescend voluntarily into relationship mm. with his people mm. so so we could obey and we had a requirement to obey him and he could have just sat back mm. and and doomed all of creation to hell in fact for choosing to rebel perfectly just mm. and and he didn't have to do anything in order to be in relationship with us hmm. and yet for reasons that boggle the mind he chooses that we would experience him in blessedness and reward
2: hmm.
1: and that's amazing hmm. yeah. right let's go back to the sinclair ferguson example imagine choosing to enter into an ants experience <laughs> right for their blessedness and reward Mm. not for anything for yourself there's no
0: benefit for you right
1: i mean what can the ant give to you yeah and let's let's just peek forward a little bit that that requirement ultimately that they might be blessed and have reward of you requires your own death as an ant as an (laughs) ant You've got to take right. on antness. You've yeah, got to take got, on antness. We're carrying this all the way into yeah, the. Right. The for world. forever. <laughs> There's no non antness yes. in you at that point. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, it's an amazing moment of care and love
3: mm-hmm.
1: by God mm-hmm. that he would choose to enter into this relationship.
3: I think that's also something that. Uh, just drives further that God and creature distinction. That's uh, so helpful because, you know, we all know people that are like, uh, it's a privilege to know me and I'm uh, going <laughs> to be in relationship with you. Right. Uh, and if that's, if if we don't have that like fundamental distinction between creature creator between God and us, it will seem slightly pompous of a deity uh, who we don't conceptualize as different from us to voluntarily condescend, unless you recognize you owe him everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And though he's totally different from you and has no obligation to, to enter into your world because you owe him everything. You are his debtor. Um, That is something that further Underscores the utter generosity of God to want to bless and uh, reward his creatures in the knowledge of him.
1: So let me give you my example in counseling, oftentimes when I talk about condescension in God. And it might seem a little left fieldish at first, but what I talk about, especially with couples, especially with men, with how to love their wives and their children well is how to be good listeners.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, that's weird, right? Like oh, no, what you need is good vision and you need good yeah, yeah, you need good vision. I don't I and there are some men who need coaching on how to be good vision and to to be more active and less passive. But I find many 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 more men who don't know how to listen well.
3: Mm. And-
1: Don't know how to be emotionally available. Now, when I begin to pull this out, I often talk about God as a listener. Why does God listen to us? He doesn't need data, right? He's not listening as a data gatherer. Let me listen to you so I know how to respond, which is so often, especially as guys, we tend to listen. I'm ready to solve the problem now. Right. Yeah, me- yeah, Fleming's already, he's got a diagram written <laughs> yeah, yeah. right now. He's got some, I mean, he is ready to just jump in and say, this is if, your if issue. If you'll just stop talking, I can tell you the answer. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: so often. So I've got a
2: six-step solution plan right here. Guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So... God doesn't listen in order that he might gather data and that he can therefore give you the right response. He's not missing any data because he's omniscient. He actually knows the problem and knows the issue better than you could ever know it. And all of his answers are already written in God's word. Mm. There's no new data that he's looking to give you. Mm. And yet despite this, despite the fact that he doesn't need new data and he doesn't need to give you new answers, he doesn't just say, go study my book. And, and get away. He says, come to me. He says to pray. And in mm-hmm. fact, in Paul, he says, pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. He loves listening to the voices of his creatures. And especially his people. Wow. Yeah. And he only does that as a condescending act of love. Mm-hmm. He is bringing himself down to our status. He has no need to listen. Unlike you and I we have to listen to understand people. We have to listen in order to know you better. If we want to get to a solution we have to listen. He only does it in order to love and be connected to his people. So it's an act of condescension condescension for God to listen in the first place. And so sometimes we think of condescending or condescension in a very negative way, right? Hmm. right? Like looking down at some somebody. That's not what we mean here. We mean this in a very positive way, in a way that sacrifices for the other, Mm. that chooses self-sacrifice for the love and connection of another. And that's how I want my fathers and husbands listening to their wives and children. Mm. Right? So when we talk about condescension, God's condescending love, which is not a love that makes fun of or, you know, whatever— Again, often how we think of condescension, mm. God's act of self-sacrificing love, is the very basis upon how I want people loving one another as Christ loves the church. So when I think of condescension, that's often how I use it in the counseling room. Mm. That's really good
0: and helpful to think about how we can actually, you know, just practically, if we're called, you know, thinking of Ephesians five to be imitators of God on some level. Yeah, uh, we can't do that. We can't be a creator. We can't be <laughs> transcendent. But yeah, we can. Imitate him by trying to grow in our ability to listen. Yep. And, and not always just come up with the problem, the an answer, you know?
1: Yep. Um, mm. Yep. You know, Calvin will talk about this in the sense of a mother babbling to a baby. Right. That's, that's his illustration mm. of condescension, right? Mm. Trying to get yourself down to the level that people understand in a loving way, not in an irritated way. Not mm. in a frustrated way, not in a way that says, look at me and how wonderful I am, but rather I'm trying to meet you where you are, mm. right? Man, how wonderful it would be if more of us thought less of ourselves and were willing to condescend in a loving way mm. yeah. to one another. Mm. It's the Philippians mm. 2 thing as well, right? Yep.
0: Christ taking on flesh, um, although he is equal to God, you know?
1: Okay, just at the very end of this section now is which he hath pleased. So how did he condescend in in this realm, which he hath pleased to express by way of covenant? Mm. So let's just quickly define covenant. Mm -hmm. Who has a definition for me of covenant?
2: A bond in blood, sovereignly (laughs) administered. Okay, that's our super theological seminary answer. (laughs) That's right.
1: That's O. Palmer Robertson, um, Christ of the Covenants. And you cannot graduate from Reformed Theological Seminary, <laughs> of which all four people on this podcast went to Reformed Seminary, there you go. without being able to answer that question at 3 a.m. Mm. Ligan Duncan has to be able to call you at 3 and say, what is a covenant? And you have to say, a bond of blood, sovereignly administered. Or otherwise, he comes and he just takes your degree away. Yeah you, yeah, you. it's rebuked. <laughs> Okay, so, so explain that a little bit to me, Capper, since you're the one who gave us the definition of bond and blood sovereignly administered.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bond. So in, in a certain way, it's, it's not exactly a contract, but it is an agreement. Mm. Um, but it's not an agreement between equals. It's a, an agreement between a sovereign, a lord, and then that sovereign or lord's servant. Um, and so, so it's a bond. It's sovereignly administered. It's a bond in blood, so that means that there's some sort of sacrifice um, at uh, at the core of the agreement mm. that's going on, and and then it's administered. So the sovereign, mm-hmm. the Lord, is the one doing admi- the administrating of that agreement. Um, right. That's that's my best effort at it, if you want to clarify a few things. In
1: well, there. no, I think it's a good job. You know, uh, oftentimes there was blood sacrifice involved in order to show what would happen if someone were to break the covenant. Mm-hmm. If either party, usually the sovereign Lord would say that you've got my protection, and the vassal, the one that was the lesser, would say, you've got my obeisance, I, I will give you glory, I will give you monetary support, I will give you things in order that you might support me because I'm usually a lesser country, that's how I end up in one of these contracts. Mm. And so then let us sacrifice these animals in order to show by illustration what would happen to you or I should we break this covenant. Mm. And, of course, one of the beautiful things is in Genesis when Abraham, he sets out the animals for this covenant ritual, and then God puts him to sleep. Mm. Mm. And who walks through both ways, both as but taking on the curse mm. of disobedience both ways? Yeah. Mm. It's God, God himself. That's right. Mm. It is incredible. Illustration all the way back in Genesis mm. of of what was to come someday in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wow. Mm. So that's a that's a covenant. When we talk about covenant, it's um it's a relationship,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? But it's got legal aspects to it. Um it's got it's got um uh loyalty aspects to it it's got blessings it's got curses mm. um and part of part of my dissertation that I'm doing on intimacy on the ability to be genuinely known and received by another that's my that's my you know 30,000 foot overview definition of intimacy one of the one of the arguments I'm making is that intimacy has its greatest ability when grounded in covenant mm-hmm because covenant has the greatest mm. level of commitment to one another which is why you know there are only certain acts certain very intimate acts that can happen between who man and wife you are known most fully where in the intimate and covenant uh relationship with god mm. so um it's not just a legal declaration but it's actually a relational connection right
0: something you were saying there made me think of you know, I don't want to stretch this thing too far, but back to our our ant analogy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and just thinking about like you're saying this, uh, this covenant relationship, it has its binding. It has these um, promises of curse, promises of blessings, but but the end result is it it, it gives a safe environment for the intimate relationship to take place. Mm. And thinking that through, again, this just highlights the condescension because imagine putting yourself one of us putting yourself in a agreement a contract a covenant with an ant yeah. or a group of ants like that's just, the idea is laughable yeah and yet we've already discussed how the gulf between us and ants pales in comparison between the gulf Between God and us. And yet here he is, he's putting, he's entering into an agreement. There's, I mean, there's, this thing's written down in the scriptures. This thing's recorded. There are promises. There are. And he can't break a promise. Mm. He's so holy. He can't break it. Mm. It is. I mean, if if we really stop and consider this thing, it is jaw dropping. It's staggering what, what we have in, in covenant theology, Mm. um, what we're discussing here. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, going back to where we started, I think it's it's going to prove as we consider this that it's very, very applicable to our daily lives if
1: we, yeah. can, if we can hold this before us um, and, mm. and remember it. So Here's the scripture I was okay. looking yeah, for. Yeah, it's Psalm twenty five fourteen, and it just shows you how important a thread like covenant is to our very walk with the Lord. It says this, Intimate fellowship with Yahweh is for those who fear Him, and he makes known his covenant to them. Mm. That's the Lexham English mm-hmm. translation. Um, let's go to the ESV for a second.
0: I've got the ESV if you want to. Know. Yeah, would you mind? Mm-hmm. Um, it says the friendship of the mm-hmm. Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. which is probably I, I like the mm-hmm. I like the flow of the English better in the ESV. Yeah. The Lexham brings forth the original language exactly. a little bit more, yeah. right? Mm. Um, but it just shows you that thread of covenant is the basis for that sort of intimate relationship, intimate fellowship, or close friendship. All of that comes through covenant. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, we ready to move on to the second section here? We've spent 33 yeah. <laughs> minutes okay. on section one. <laughs>
0: As always, we we do not go quite as fast as we think we will. We thought we would, I I thought we would blow through this. All right, (laughs) shall I read section two and we'll we'll jump in? All right, this says, this is section two of chapter seven of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience.
1: There we go. Mm. Covenant of works. Okay. So it is trying to make or is making the distinction between covenant of works and covenant of grace, which we'll hear about in the very next section. But this very first covenant with man now, you know, doesn't mean it's the very first covenant period. Mm. There there is a covenant between God Himself and that he would engage in this act of redemption. But the very first covenant with man is a covenant based on works that, that if we just obeyed perfectly and the test there of course was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet we chose in our own hearts freely to rebel and therefore brought sin and evil and death into the world. Mm when we so often and if you look at any other religion we want the covenant of works because <laughs> we love control right and yet we fail so utterly yeah every single time it's based on us and if holiness is perfect and pure and therefore cannot stand in the sight of sinfulness at all you can't just be the least sinful of all the creatures, and still be in front and in fellowship with a holy God. You must be sinless mm-hmm. mm. in order to be in fellowship with a sinless God. Right? Yeah. So so it's so um confusing or or contradictory rather that what we really want in human-made religion is a covenant of works. <laughs> We, we want to prove ourselves. We want control over it. And yet there's not a single religion that doesn't show that humans fail and falter in every moral code mm. all the time.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. That um, the distinguishing mark of Christianity is that ultimately... We aren't the ones who even accomplished this obedience. God saves us through His grace, um, ultimately not upon our obedience, but upon the obedience of Jesus, who will come as the second Adam, yeah. um, to to do, to succeed ultimately where we have failed, and yep. um, and so in that way, God Himself through sending His Son accomplishes what was required of us uh, in order to have this relationship with Mm -hmm. God. And that's just, it's it's amazing. In any other religion, it's always on us. Mm. And Christianity is the only religion where ultimately God is the one who who did it all.
1: Mm. Again, from a counseling perspective, You know, one of the great questions is theodicy. How can there be evil in the world, especially if God is all-powerful and he's all-good and he's loving? And this is the answer. Mm. We brought it into existence. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: And the the question is really not how can there be, how can God allow, but why does he save any? Mm. Right. Why does he choose good for any, even when it costs him such a high cost unto himself? When we were yet enemies, why did he choose to save us? Because we chose out of our own disobedience and our own selfishness and our own pride to be enemies with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All that is evil is because of us. Yeah. And all that is good Mm -hmm. is because of him. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got to be really careful about saying that in a counseling room. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? Like if someone comes in and they have a diagnosis that's terrible. Mm -hmm. And they want to know, why does God allow me to have this terrible diagnosis? You're not going to run to the covenant of works necessarily. Right. right? You're not going to say, well, actually, we're the reason there's disease in the mm. world. Right. You're going to weep with those who weep. Mm. You're going to be kind and compassionate. But this knowledge keeps me from having any sort of crisis of faith. Right when I enter into what is often the darkest and most difficult times in people's faith,
3: Mm. Mm. I think it's also something that uh, deeply affirms uh, creation as it was intended, was meant to be good. It's a good point, uh, in the sense that like uh, God put Adam in a garden that was a gift uh, to Adam everything that he needed for life and health was given to him and the single requirement that he had was to simply obey the word of the Lord uh, not to eat of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, and God intended life both to him like he's promising something to Adam on the simple condition of just do what I say Um <laughs> Uh, And I think for the person who's in the counseling suite, uh, oftentimes it's easy to let uh, our suffering and our pain uh, feel as if it's taken uh, some of the goodness of creation itself of our lives itself away because of what our life does not, uh, how we feel like it does not match up to what we had hoped it would be. Uh, but this is something that God Himself affirms that desire in the people who are suffering under great pain. It's like, it, it, this is actually not the way it was meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And God's intention to redeem is also uh, the intention to promise to them uh, one day there will come a time when it won't be this way anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, we we ready to move on to the covenant of grace, or does anybody else have other things to say there on the covenant of works? I'm always ready to move on to the covenant of grace. Yeah, I was going to say, let's, with you. Get, <laughs> you know, let's we can fast forward. No, I was um, going to
2: say, I'm looking at section three, and I'm like, oh, I might have jumped the gun with what I said earlier, but <laughs> hey, let's go.
0: <laughs> so, shall we uh, jump in yep. Sh- section three? It says, Man by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, referring back to the covenant of works, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, whereby he freely offereth unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those who are ordained unto life. His Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. Mm. Mm.
1: Okay, we've got a bit to unpack here and just a couple of minutes to do it. Okay. So I just want to I want to focus us just a little bit. And and what I really want to highlight is a couple of things. One, he was pleased to make a second, commonly called Covenant of Grace, second covenant. He he could have been done. Mm. He could have said, This is it.
0: Yeah. I had that thought a minute ago like we could stretch this thing too far but our, yeah. our ant analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like is it, it really <laughs> helpful. It is kind of helpful to think through our
2: but if ant the ants, farm.
0: if the ant form in your room were rebelling against you would you would give you give them a second would you act to bring them back to a inter- proper relationship with you or would you just throw out the ant form Or spray the ant kill the ant like it it, it it's not god is not like us. Yeah. Is is I think another it yeah. just highlights again if the ants were rebelling against me in some way, I'd just
1: get rid of the ants. Right. Um, anyway. So. Yeah, not not save them by right. becoming the ant that died. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Like, that's yeah. the... Man, <laughs> oh, that's man. just it, incredible that he would choose. He is so loving and kind. Mm. We mm. We had an agreement. We broke it. Mm. He had every right to be done with it and be like, mm. okay, that experiment, it's over. We're just going to... Cast them all into hell and move on and have perfect fellowship in the Trinity. Mm. Perfect, wonderful, unending, beautiful blessedness. Mm. And yet he chooses to, again, condescend. And this time he has a requirement just like last time, except last time what was the requirement. It was obedience. Mm -hmm. What's the requirement this time? Faith in him. Faith in him. Faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Right? And, And... uh, I think there's a section on saving faith, and I'm, I'm not sure. If, is that later? Have we already gone through the section on saving faith?
0: No, that is no. chapter 14, I believe.
1: Okay, great. So it's, it's later. It's, it's in the future for us. So we'll talk about the various elements of saving faith, which is helpful. But what I want to highlight here is that unlike in the Covenant of Works, there was a requirement that then uh, Adam broke as our as our federal head, by by choosing to eat of the fruit of the knowledge or of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mm-hmm. here he requires faith okay well this would just be a reworking of the covenant of works if it stopped there mm-hmm. you were required to have faith but instead because it's the covenant of grace he gives you what he requires
2: mm-hmm.
1: right he he then by the holy spirit makes them that is his people willing and able to believe Mm. It does it's not back in our court, yeah right because if it was back in our court because now we're fallen, now we're sinful, we would never be able to choose him. Mm. It's why regeneration precedes faith mm. because the Holy Spirit has to work in us in order that we might through the instrument of our faith be able to reach out and have faith mm. in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If it were something that was ours that we could actually do, it would just be the covenant of works part two. Uh-huh. right that's and we'd break it again and we yeah we like wouldn't be able to in. do it mm-hmm. right this is a covenant of grace in that that which god requires god works in us mm-hmm. he is the one who does it again from a from a counseling perspective quickly on this mm-hmm. i would just say that is a really good order to think through things mm-hmm. That when there's a requirement, a demand by us morally, where do we start with first? And it's not that we start internally first. There's still a requirement. We still must do it in the same way that we still must have faith. But we start with God and the Holy Spirit, the ones working in us that we might then work out and have faith. Whatever that thing is that you're struggling with by way of sanctification You make it a part and focus of your prayer life. Lord, Mm. be working and active in me that I may kill this particular sin. That's asking for his 100% effort. And then you do everything you can to kill it, your 100% effort. Mm. But those steps matter, that you're looking to God first and then self. Yeah. Okay, other thoughts on this section here?
3: I love how this shorter catechism summarizes this uh, sort of bullet point. Uh, It's question 20. Did God leave mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? Uh, And the the answer is, God having out of his mere good pleasure, electing some uh, from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery. To bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. Mm. It's just one of those beautiful uh, uh, reminders, once again, of God's good pleasure in doing all of this. Mm.
1: Amen. All right, gentlemen, sounds like this is a good place for us to wrap up, and we will continue, continue on this section or this chapter uh, next time we get together so S- sounds great well for josh fleming for josh adair and for mark capper i'm josh squires thanks for listening to 1a if you have any questions or thoughts feel free to email us you can email us 1a at firstprezcolumbia.org and we will get back to you as soon as we can well god bless and we'll see you next time